from Dragon360, this is Digital Banter, a podcast focused on modern marketing tactics and driving real business results. And now, here are your hosts, James and Zach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Digital Banter, most recently voted by myself, number one podcast on Spotify. Today, unfortunately, Zach was not able to join us, so at a last minute's notice, we decided to bring back our good old friend Andy as his third guest appearance, and who knows, maybe at some point he'll become a uh, a future co-host with us, depending on uh, if we can talk him into it or not. So this week, we are going to be talking about content strategy, content marketing, and a lot of the things that we haven't been able to dive in deeper in some of our previous episodes. This kind of came out of the last probably 10 episodes we've been saying about like, oh, this content sucks. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. But we haven't really given too many insight into what works, what framework we like to work with, and kind of some of the things that we see out there that we actually do like. So jumping into it here, I think one of the the main things that we have been talking about recently is kind of overall the, the change in content consumption. One of the things that I catch myself doing and I, I feel like is something that a lot of people are doing this these days because I, I think we feel it makes us sound smarter is, you know, I'm, I'm in a meeting, a marketing meeting coming up. Like I have these ideas from honestly content that I've engaged with, but what I'll go to Andy with to make myself sound smart is I'll say, Hey, like I was reading, I was reading this, right. Or, Oh, I read this. Oh, I read that. Well, I got to tell the truth here is like the reality is, is I didn't read it. I was listening to a podcast and I stole it from somebody else. I was, um, why I saw it on TikTok from one of the influencers I follow. And I think that that's a big common misconception just because of how we as individuals talk about how we engage with content. I have to be honest. It's, it's very rare that somebody is going to be completely honest and say like, oh yeah, hey, I got, I got this from a TikTok, right? Or, hey, I got this from a very, sh- this, is, this is just a snippet from a, a very short-term clip that I've, that I've got. And I think what this happened, what this, what this leads to is this focus on creating, uh, creating written content, right? Everything's written. Every we, we've talked about, Hey, we're boiling this, every, this down into an ebook. We're boiling it down into a white paper and, and it's all written content, written content, written content. And marketers, especially in the B2B space are still overly focused on, written content because our our team members are saying, oh, hey, I read this here, I read this there. And the reality is you probably didn't read it, you watched it somewhere. It's funny, like one of the things that I quote, I'm not not a big reader. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are people out there, but I always say like, hey, if it's a good enough book, it's gonna be made into a movie. And I think the same thing is happening in the marketing space. So, Andy, a question for you, you do, you know, you, you lead our agency, you do a lot of research on your own. Like how are, how are you, what, what type of content are you digesting? Like what are, what are the things that you feel are the most valuable right now? 
I think you have to look at it historically too. So pre-COVID, you know, there was a lot more conferences, workshops, in-person events, whatever you want to call it, right? The reason why I always found those valuable from an attendee perspective, but also a speaker perspective is it's not about the actual topics and what's being said. It's more about the ideas and concepts that come out of that, that trigger kind of that response of, Hey, how can I take this concept? This is what they said and apply it to my, my problem or my agency. And that's kind of what you're talking about. James too, is like, yeah, you read it somewhere, but it's not just hey, I read this and here's where I read it, but it's how what is what is the plan that comes out of that? What is the idea that stems out of that? And I think if you look at it from that historical context of conferences and thing and in-person events and even before that, written word, right? Blogs, which have become outdated in many regards, uh, ebooks in some in some cases becoming outdated as far as how content is consumed in a snackable way to today, today long form, but also just short form social posts, community posts that happen in closed communities. You know, I belong to P community, for example, as kind of a closed network of demand gen CMO type or uh, individuals. And that content resonates because it prompts the response. It prompts the idea. It prompts, hey, this is something that's happening. How can I apply that to my organization or our clients. And the same thing could be said about podcasts or videos or whatever kind of the snackable medium, whether it be short form or long form, but snackable in medium, so to speak, uh, that makes a difference. I mean, I, I live out in the woods, so I go for walks along kind of a reservoir that's right down the road. That's when I kind of tune into podcasts and that's kind of, you know, you're, you're by yourself. You're able to take it all in, listen, engage, by yourself, but again, take those concepts and apply them to what I'm trying to overcome or what I'm trying to create for our organization as an agency or our clients as B2B brands. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you you kind of talked about where where all of that content is coming from and, and kind of the next step that's taken from it. Because I think one of the big things that honestly you see about on LinkedIn now is like, Oh, these people are stealing our content. They're stealing our ideas. Like the, there's the idea of like imposter syndrome. And it's like, I totally get why people feel that way. And it's, it is important to cite sources and and things like that. But at the end of the day, that's how people are learning. Now we're not learning. Like we're not learning from books. We're not learning from different, like, school as much like i mean i went to school studied marketing got a job in marketing i'm kind of the exception to the rule in that case though and there's a sense where you have to feed off of other people's ideas and you have to network with other people in the industry and then you end up developing those positions into your own and i think that that's something that people don't um you know everybody's afraid to honestly i feel like we're afraid to say that because marketing is is some in to some extent, like a copycat industry. And, but what we're doing, I mean, we talk about community all the time. The purpose of community is to learn from each other. And now with social podcasts, I mean, marketing has certainly gone down the community direction, both from internal learning purposes and external learning purposes. So honestly, in my opinion, it's okay to, reiterate something that somebody else says. Like, I I know that I have major influences outside of our organization from podcasts I listen to, to 
I'm not going to say blogs I read because I don't read blogs, but like people I follow on TikTok. And I think that brands also need to start moving in that direction of creating a community with their content because it's going to create more of a following, more brand awareness. It's just going to be much better off in the long term. And it's okay. It's okay to talk about what other people are talking about. Like that, I feel like that is, that is what community is about um, versus a lot of the content that's out there right now is sales guides focus on selling, not talking about what people want to hear about. But it's also, so, it's also though, there's that core idea that somebody may have developed, right. And be the inventor of, but that it, it happens outside of marketing, but you invent, invent the light bulb and great. So you own that patent and everything else, but then you have all of the other light bulbs that come out of that as just a product innovation aspect of things. Same thing can be said about marketing, right? You have a core idea and yeah, like the, the core concept is there that you might be stealing, but what's your point of view on top of that? How does it re how does it apply to your agency? How does it apply to your brand? Because not all brands are created equal. Not all agencies are created equal. There's going to be different ways of doing different things. It's a matter of, again, like I said before, what is that core idea? And then how do you take that and harness the power of it for your organization? Yeah. Um, I, th- I kind of want to jump into another question I had here. So I'm a, like I said, I'm a big fan of social content, like short forms, snackable, whatever it is, right? And I think a big thing that you don't get in long form written content, and this makes testing more difficult when you're doing more long form content, is that level of social proof. Like social proof, I, I feel like is one of those buzzwords that we throw out there, but essentially what it means is do other people like and engage and talk about what you're talking about, right? For example, like if I put out a snippet from this podcast, there's much like it goes into the pot. Like this isn't a live podcast. So it goes out there. It goes into the world. Like I'm not getting real time feedback, Would I love to get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. But for right now, I have no, no idea whether or not content is resonating with people unless I break it down to snackable pieces and put it out on LinkedIn. And by then I can see, oh, hey, I've got 10 people that like this one. And nobody liked this one at all over here. Hey, I'm going to stop creating content like that and create more content like that. Um, and in the, the B2B world where we are so focused on lead gen, MQLs, all the stuff that we complain about all the time, like we're trying to, I, I think we focus too much on our people. Is, is it driving leads at the end of the day versus are people act, do people actually like that content? And I think that that's a, a shift in focus that marketers need to make in their content strategy to make things more effective. Because if you are more focused on social and social metrics, social proof, whatever you want to call it versus your MQL data, like, did you trick somebody into filling out your form? You're going to have, far more brand awareness, far more respect in the industry, probably better brand recall, you know, cause you're creating content that actually resonates with people and learning off of that content. I think it also depends though on where that content is being distributed and how it's being, what medium it's being created on. Right. 
So on the social proof side of things, when it comes to posts, videos, carousels, ads, yeah, likes, comments, shares, those social proof engagements are relevant for kind of measuring uh, impact and resonance. But if you think about it on the long form content side of things, whether it be a podcast or let's say a blog or anything on the website that's written, you can still look at that and try to uncover what are the points that are uh, engaging the buyer by looking at the analytics. Let's say, you know, we're doing like a 50 minute podcast today, probably give or take. I mean, that's about what these are averaging. So in the analytics, what, what does that look like? Are people going back and re-listening to certain portions of it because it, it hit a, a note? And the same thing can be said for on the site. This is where the UX and kind of uh, heat mapping, scroll mapping, and click tracking come into play from an understanding of how far down does somebody get. So if they don't get that far down, clearly the intro didn't resonate enough to drive them to move later in the content. But also people look with their mouses. They, they scroll, they highlight things that they want to focus more on. And using those kinds of tools to identify what's hitting its mark as far as resonance and topic is concerned, that can lead into a, a content strategy in and of itself. But you're right, James. Not enough, uh, not enough marketers look at that type of data and utilize it to inform content ideation and strategy. Instead, it's all focused on what is this content doing for me in driving leads or MQLs or whatever the success metric I have been tasked with because of my department is. Yeah, it's, you know, again, I, so I run our paid media team. One of the things I've been really pushing for our team to do a lot more is taking a look at, like social engagement on ads too, like just to see are are they, what are people saying? Cause I'll be honest, like sometimes, sometimes people will be very rude. I don't know how many times I've seen like an ad where like, Oh, I'm going to give this great, a great example, not relevant to B2B at all. There's a real estate brand around where we live right now in the Hudson Valley outside of New York. And their tagline in their ads is like city in city during the week, like country on weekends. Right. And that's like what they're promoting. It's like, it's like and the mullet of real estate. They're not <laughs> business in the front, party yeah, in the pretty back. much. And, <laughs> but what they're like, if you go through and it's, it's, I don't think they have any clue of how bad their ad is because what they're serving, first of all, where they're serving the ad is in the Hudson Valley, which is the local community, not New York City. So if you were serving that only in New York City, it would be it would be probably good. It would resonate with people. But they're serving it up here. And I don't know if people know this, but like there's a lot of us country folk up here who don't want all of the city influence to move up here. And if you read the comments on that ad, there are a million comments saying like, go back to the city. Don't do this. Like stop stealing our real estate. Stop driving up our prices. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Because there is like a level, there's a level of conflict there. And all this real estate company needs to do is like change their messaging and their positioning. And they'll probably be 10 times more effective than they are instead of like, you know, somebody who is in the city, who is considering moving up here, reading this ad and saying, Oh, everybody up there hates us. There's no way I'm going to move up there. Um, 
And there's, I mean, there's the opposite side too. Like in the software space, somebody, you, you get people saying like, oh, like this was super insightful. I really like how you said X, Y, Z. Hey, like I've been a, I've been a, uh, a pros- uh, client of theirs forever. And like, they've really helped us take us ourselves from A to Z and being able to take that stuff and reposition it and refine your messaging based off of that is, is huge. I will say that when things are on the negative side, it's a little bit more insightful sometimes than the positive because it is like an obvious, like, Hey, like we need to change this right now. But we talk a lot about doing qualitative research. They talk about the, how did you hear about us forums? I know that's a, a big thing in the demand gen fa- space right now. Um, doing like joining user groups, stuff like that, but just basic, a, a basic step to improving content and campaigns is just reading, reading what people are saying on the content that you're already putting out there. It's understanding your audience. And I think the real estate example that you just gave is a great example of not knowing your audience. And on the flip side of that with B2B in particular, it's not just understanding your audience. It's also understanding who's part of the process. Because if it's a complex sales cycle and process for an enterprise type of brand, you're going to have a buying committee that ranges maybe from marketing and sales up to legal and compliance because they have to review the paperwork, confirm that it's a fit for the organization, and then get the buy-in from the ultimate decision maker, which might live outside of all of those departments. So yeah, it comes back to knowing your audience and knowing the buying committee, so to speak, behind that when it relates to B2B specifically. Yeah, that's that's a huge point in the research. The in, I feel like we talk about this all the time too, influencers versus decision makers versus whatever. I mean, I think that there is a very common misconception in the marketing space where, hey, like we just need to be targeting the decision makers. Where, again, I'll, I'll use us as an example, right? Hey, like um, you know, we want to change our ads reporting tool or whatever, something like that. Like, you are not going to look into that. Um, like you will, you will look into it once I say like, Hey, I found a better solution. It's more cost effective and it has all of these integrations that we've been missing. Like, then you'll be like, Oh wow, maybe I'll take a look at this. But other than that, like truly you are like, I am the, the major influencer, but you are going to be the one who like says like, okay, yeah, that's in the budget that we have. And those are like, those are two completely different roles. And that in, along the entire B2B sales cycle, like that's, that's going to be something that is going to be the case. A lot of this stuff is even far more, far, far more complex than that. Call recording software, like what that, that helps like 50, I'm just thinking of like stuff that, you know, that can help customer service. that can help sales. that can help marketing. You know, there are now four decision makers in that process to use some a software like that. And four different decision makers and four different influencers. It can get yeah. pretty complex. And that's where persona development, stuff like that. Becomes I think super I don't important. want to stray too far away from the topic of today being content strategy and execution. But I think some of what you're describing also goes back to how you're defining success and how you're dictating success for the various departments. And yeah, me entering the pipeline as a prospect probably looks good from an MQL perspective because of my title, but in reality, I'm not the buyer. I mean, you, anyone else on the team, if we're talking about an advertising reporting tool, 
are the true buyers because you're the users, you're the influencers, and you're coming to me saying, here are the three tools that we looked at. Here's the cost. Here's the features. I'm recommending this one. What do you think? And I'm just basically signing the check essentially. But that's not what a B2B marketing and sales organization is looking for in their strategy that is just trying to acquire leads. They're looking for titles and things like that because that's who they believe is going to move the needle when it comes to becoming a customer. It's not actually part of the, but I'm not actually the buying committee. I'm just a small fraction of it. It's so I'm going to, I'm going to vent for a second. I feel like you'll relate to this one pretty well. How many times have we gotten brands who are saying, Hey, we're a startup. We service fortune 500 companies and we want to target CXOs. Like, okay, you want to target I feel like this is a product development thing in some sense, but you want to target 500 people who live in the world and work at these companies and have far more important things to do than that. Well, I think this is like, (laughs) and that's where, that's where you need to break it down into influencers, decision makers also like move lower in the market. There's, there's a lot of things wrong with that, but that's a common I feel like there's this common misconception that we can just go after 500 people and convert them. I think this goes back to also content quality. And if we're talking about even Fortune 1000, Fortune or Inc. 5000, if we want to kind of look at a larger subset of the overall market, right? High growth companies. The people that marketing and sales might want to get into the pipeline as far as leadership is concerned, because that's what they've defined as success. Those people don't care unless you're delivering quality content that's actually going to resonate with them. And chances are that content still isn't going to resonate with them unless it's snackable. It's in a format that they consume on an everyday basis. Again, going back to the example of me taking walks in the reservoir, listening to my headphones as I'm kind of in that kind of relaxation mode for the day, so to speak. And whether or not it's just going to hit its mark. And if it doesn't hit its mark, which it's unlikely to because of who you're trying to engage with and the way you're trying to engage with them, historically speaking, being white papers, eBooks, and other content that isn't just formatted poorly for the market you're trying to impact, but written in a way that doesn't get the point across, you're going to have a failing strategy that again, kind of might fuel leads, but not the right leads that you want to progress into an actual buyer of your product and service. Sure. It's funny. You mentioned eBooks and white papers. One of my, I feel like this is one of my favorite things to rip on a little bit. Like I, there's a purpose for it. I, and I feel like us as marketers, like we've created words for them, but like, we're creating like PDF documents. Well, that goes like that's what, that goes back that's to what, what I was saying, is. though. What's the difference between an right. ebook and a white? But paper? here's the other thing: when that's we're talking question. about analytics, right, and what's hitting its mark, you can't tell that in a PDF. In reality, and I, I just thought about this somewhat recently, no, right? because so many of our clients and so many brands kind of put out their content in PDF format. There's no analytics there besides whether you download it or convert it on the form. You can't tell what somebody's actually doing in there half the time, if at all. There's no Google Analytics that can be structured into a PDF or a PDF viewer. There's no uh, heat mapping or scroll mapping or anything like that. It's it's you talk about dark social. It's dark content. You have no idea what's going on. Um, now on the flip side yeah. of that, here's the thing that I thought about recently: is if you want to do long form content, look, yeah, I get the PDF is a shareable version of that. 
it doesn't mean you can't create a PDF, but create that content on your site. We talk about the what is the purpose of continuing the blog, right? It's <laughs> it's to create that type of content and have it housed there so you can get the analytics around what's resonating, what's making uh, a mark on the reader, right? And that fuels that content strategy. And you can easily have a PDF version that somebody can download of that blog post or of that resource that becomes the shareable content among the other team members in your organization that are part of that buying community. You got to think strategically about what you want in and what you want out of the content that you're creating and the strategy that you're developing. Yeah. Making it, I mean, making it engageable is a big part of it. Yeah. Kind of jumping back to the media, the media side. So I'll step back a little bit. One, I think, a lot of people post about this all the time, you know, the whole demand gen movement. I, we're part of it. There's a lot of people who are part of it. But there's this make, big common misconception that, like, demand gen just means ungating your content, right? And, like, there's this – I feel like there's this this idea of, oh, hey, like, we're going to ungate the content and more people are going to read it. Like, that's not that's not true. It, it might be a little bit true, but it's not true. Um what we're pushing more for on the media side. So again, we can see if people are liking, commenting, sharing, or engaging with the content is taking that ebook, breaking it down into the five points that you're trying to make in that ebook and saying it directly in your LinkedIn ad, like saying it right there. You have 600 characters within a LinkedIn ad to get your point across. And again, this is something that I brought up a hundred times now at this point, but would you rather have, you're going to have one out of 10,000 people who are, are served an ad actually go through the process and download the ebook? Or would you rather have every single person who actually sees and reads your ad to see the content that you want them to see? Because your goal in content creation is like you believe that that content is so valuable that it is going to convince somebody to make a purchase. Like that's, that's, that's your goal. And no matter what the distribution channel is, like your goal is to get somebody to engage with that content, whether it's the blog, whether it's um, anything, right? That your goal is to get them to engage with that content. And if that's not your goal, and your goal is to like try to steal an email address with it. That's where I think things are. A little I think backwards. the same thing can be said about any other content type though, too. It's not just eBooks, it's case studies, it's webinars. How do you, how do you deliver value and education yeah. up front? that sows the seed of consumption that drives somebody to actually fill out the form. If you do have a gated piece of content or you have the registration up in front of them, whether it's an on-demand webinar or not, you have to create not just that hook, but that value prop of why I'm going to consume that content, especially if my title responsibilities, etc., kind of make my time and bandwidth a constraint to actually consuming it yeah it's so like i don't know we talk again i'm gonna this this line is stolen directly from chris walker who's somebody who i follow all the time but what he said like to the point he's got a very big podcast following and the point that he made is that a lot of his clients in the SaaS space they're running webinars and people aren't showing up and that what he's hearing from his clients is that people don't like webinars anymore and it's like his point was people don't not like webinars they'd like don't like bad webinars. Like they don't like, they don't like 
you showing up and being sold to. And I think that's the case with eBooks, case studies, white papers, whatever it is. Like they don't, your content shouldn't have the purpose of set. Like how many eBooks, white papers, case studies are sales guides. How many webinars are a way to invite 25 people to a hundred people to a joint sales call together. Like that's not what they want. They want you to deliver valuable information. And I mean that, I feel like that's something that can be taken across anywhere in the content strategy is like, stop focus. It's stop focusing on sales as much and focus on delivering everybody the information that they need in order to make a purchasing decision rather than trying to sell to them based on information that you've collect that you've learned about them through yeah. the research. That you've Buyers want to buy, sellers want to sell. It's a matter of figuring out and finding out where in that journey, those two opposite attractions meet. And it's typically when the hand is raised by the buyer through a demo, a trial or an inbound activity that is again, sending that signal of raising my hand, hey, I'm interested, and selling, not wasting my time with unqualified, never ready to buy content leads that take up my time, my bandwidth, my money ultimately as a result of that, and the cost of the organization because because of that time, money, and marketing expense to nurture them when they're never going to convert or they're going to take much longer to convert versus an inbound type of lead that I'm going to prioritize because I know that's what's going to sell faster. It's going to grow the business faster. And if I'm a salesperson, it's going to get me my commission faster. Yep. So let's transition here to a little bit to, uh, I'll call it our, our, our mission statement as an agency, because Andy's totally going to update our mission statement to this, but uh, how to make B2B. That is not so. Here, so, that is absolutely a passion of mine. I will admit that. So if you want to, it's not our, it's not our mission. It's our mission, our mission as life. an agency is to ignite change that positively impacts the lives of our employees, our customers, their customers, and our communities. If you want to go full circle here and making B2B sexy, we are igniting change in B2B brands and transforming their marketing, which is in some cases outdated into a modern approach that's going to impact their employees, their customers, and their end customers positively. That's our mission in a nutshell as it relates to making B2B sexy. So we're not talking about our mission then, we're just talking about how to make B2B sexy through content. Talking about jumping into what works, what doesn't work, uh, I'm going to kick this off with a framework that, again, I, I'm, I'm always just going to quote for now on, like where I steal stuff from, because that's how I learn. So this is a, a, a framework, and it, it's really not like your your standard like content strategy framework. This is something that I actually stole from a YouTube creators conference that we went to, I don't know, a while ago, probably before before YouTube started to started to blow up. And really what the, you know, I forgot who was spoke. It was somebody who was very high up at YouTube. And what, what they were saying is that in order to grow your YouTube channel, there are three different types of content that you should be creating to make your, to 
grow your audience and keep your audience engaged. Like those are the two goals. And those are typically your two goals for a content strategy as well, no matter what type of content you're creating. So what they broke it down to was these three different segments. First one being your standard brand messaging on the, in the B2B marketing space. Think about like our whole goal in our brand messaging is not to just do logo tagline. Like that's not the goal here. This is how we are putting out educational content that sticks, right? That's, that's our goal for somebody to say, that's a pain point I have. They're talking about it. I want to learn more from them. Think of it as like, this is the thing that, this is the thing that gets somebody in the door, right? You've, you've struck a nerve with somebody. Um, that's the, whether it's in a good way or a bad way, like that's, that should be the goal through various different types of educational messaging around pain points, unique selling points, your unique position in the market, whatever it be, all the stuff we usually talk about. So that's one, I'm going to call that one, your standard brand messaging. Step two is something either viral, fun, or controversial. People like to buy from people that they like. And this is, think about this as like the, the type of content that could go viral. You see a lot of guys in the real estate market who are selling like their real estate courses right now. I feel like they do a very good job of this. I think of like the Grant Cardones in the world who are just like putting out content and it's going viral because everybody wants to be a millionaire. I don't think that that's necessarily a fit for every brand, but you know, it's a piece that says like, Oh, like this dude is awesome. I really like what he had to say. You know, it was either funny, it was controversial, whatever it may be. It caused a lot of engagement, something that has the potential to go viral. Now, I do say a, like nobody in their marketing strategy should have like a uh, a viral a go viral strategy because that's not like if you're creating content with the goal of going viral it doesn't work but if you're creating content with the fun of being with the goal of being fun or controversial there's a good likelihood that you have a chance of striking a nerve with somebody and going viral and then third and probably like the the most important audience building piece because you can get in front of people right and whether it be a advertising social media organic whatever it may be you can get your messaging in front of people but you have to give somebody a reason to come back and this is where the last piece of this puddle puzzle is like what is your long form episodic content like what is the what is somebody the the bring me back content is what they refer to it as youtube and that's where you know, there's thing about like specialization is important. Like, Hey, like you are like one of the things I talk about, like growing as a content creator is like kind of sticking to your niche and talking about what you talk about and not being all over the place. You can't really start being all over the place until you're big and everybody like, um, I think Gary V is a, a good example of somebody who like started in a niche and now is like big enough where he can be all over the place with this content. But like, you shouldn't be following Gary V. You should be, trying to be Gary Vee. You should be trying to be the, I don't know, fishing YouTuber who only does tournament fishing videos on select areas because I'm speaking to my passions here a little bit. Um, because people want it like, let me put it this way. Again, a, a fishing YouTuber. I look for places that I am likely to fish and follow the people who are YouTubers in that area so that I can learn from them. And I keep going back to their content because they're putting out stuff that is directly relatable to me. Um, now a lot, again, there's always opportunities to expand there, but you always have to start with whatever your niche is. So 
we talked about three kind of pretty drastically different from each other concepts. We have long form, short form, viral fun, educational, and this is where distribution becomes pretty important. And Andy, this is what I, I want us to dive into next is like the types. So if we take this strategy, like what is the best distribution method for it? Um, so we can start with paid media. Um, my big thing on, on the paid media side, again, is, I mean, I said it in general brand messaging before, as far as like, these are good for ads. Like this is the stuff that's good for ads because you're creating content that speaks to those individual personas. The content types can be very, can vary, but typically you're looking at more short form stuff, video, TV, social, interactive ads, carousels, everything focused on educational content though. Um, probably not where you're going to do any of the controversial stuff or the bring me back content. Cause it's just too long form. You like this, you're, you're just trying to get somebody's attention versus, you know, I, I think some of those are better suited in other channels. So I guess, Andy, what, as far as like, what content have you seen perform well on educational first, for sure. Cause you have to have that hook. You have to make that impact quickly, especially if it's a piece of content that is written in medium, right? You think ebook, uh, anything along those lines in the more traditional B2B sense, it has to have the hook. It has to have the value. You have to give a reason why you're going to read it. I think the other aspect of this too, though, is what we were talking about before. How do you, break down long form content into snackable snippets. So videos, carousels, um, any other kind of aspects to content that roll up to that ad unit type, so to speak, is going to resonate more in driving engagement and awareness because you're more likely to attract the eyeballs, stop somebody from, let's say, scrolling through their LinkedIn feed because you caught their attention. But the same thing holds true in any other advertising channel and program. Think about it from the historical context of TV and radio, right? Linear TV and traditional radio, as we would say today, because of the emergence of connected TV and programmatic audio on things like Spotify. You have to have that hook. You have to have that moment in time that you capture the potential buyer's interest and attention by the message that you throw out there first and how you deliver it, whether it be controversial, whether it be a point of view, whether it be something that is fun and going back to what you're saying about making B2B sexy outside the norm. Think about it from an audience perspective and going back to what we were talking about from a buying community aspect of things. So if my buying, if my buying committee is made up of a wide range of departments and levels within the organization from a seniority perspective. So the things that are going to stand out to the leadership aspect of things in those other non-traditional channels, let's say CTV is something that grabs their attention, but circles back to what they do for a living right outside the norm outside of the standard hey this is what we do this is how we do it and here's the price point those three things absolutely still matter in the buying process but we're talking about a different way of engaging the buyer 
earlier in their buying process to create that awareness, engagement, and move them forward in that demand creation mindset. You have to do it. You have to mix it up. You have to make it more engaging and you have to be outside the norm. And you can't have kind of that imposter syndrome of trying to do something that the rest of your competitive market does from a content strategy perspective, stand out. Just think about it from a USP's perspective, right? If these are our differentiating value propositions for our products and services, well, if we take that up a level, how can we differentiate our content to create a unique marketing proposition, if we want to call it such, when it comes to our content opportunities, content mediums, and distribution strategy? Because we're going to find opportunities for engaging our audiences and our target market outside of what the competitors are doing because we're thinking in a more creative mindset while still holding true to what we're trying to achieve of driving growth for the business by engaging with our ICP and the buying committee that rolls up to that ICP. You made a um, a great point in there that I'd like to call out about having a point of view. I think that this is something that is a miss in many different industries and brands. And really it comes down to too many cooks in the kitchen, approval processes, whatever it may be, where you take what I, what I see happen all the time is like a point of view that is strong opinionated is going to create engagement. It gets boiled down into like some stupid logo and tagline messaging. And I think that that's a big thing that advertisers can take moving forward. Is like, don't be afraid to share what that point of view is especially if you are a, a startup disruptor, whatever it may be in the space, like that's a whole, that's, that is what you're selling is that point of view. And, you know, your goal is to get more people beating the same drum that you are. And again, I just, I just think it's a piece that's, that's missed that should be brought into advertising and be like, be more opinionated, be more controversial. Like I think that there's a lot of, a lot of good. Right. There's a lot and more it good that can come from that than not bad. In the true context of controversy, but rather a differing opinion than the norm because you're trying to set yourself apart, which in turn is really your unique selling proposition. That's why you created the product. That's why you created the, the offering that you did because you found the opportunity that exists in the market to make a difference and make what has become the norm better which goes back to things that you and Zach have been talking about. It just doesn't stop with, here's our product, go sell it. It's the innovation that follows from a product development perspective, whether that be features, whether that be usability, right? All of it enhances the customer experience at the end of the day, which creates LTV, reduces churn, and creates ambassadorship that fuels that demand gen fire. Yeah. It's like, I'll even give some examples like in the software space. I'll try to keep it generic without kind of calling anybody out here. But one of the things that we see a lot when it comes to software is a new software is created because it is a more seamless integration with something else. And these are typically startup brands. They're within an existing category, and there's a couple of big players in that category. But they do have a very unique solution. Like they work really well with whatever, some other software that is much larger than they are. I'll use Salesforce as an example. Like, hey, we work really well with Salesforce. We work really well with something else. Just everybody uses Salesforce. And 
what happens like that is such a, like if there's not a product like yours that can be that works with Salesforce, then you're, you're the, like no brainer for anybody who works with Salesforce. But what these brands are trying to do is they're trying to be like live within their category, trying to run paid search ads on their category as a disruptor in the space. And they're not willing to say what their unique selling point is. I've, I'll use a, this. I feel like this is a great example for us too. We talked about ad reporting software. I don't know why we talked. I talk, bring this up as an example all the time, maybe because it, it's, I just, if you have a good solution out there, maybe you can come to me, but there's always like integrations that's, that are missing. And then there's like a, some weird exception to the rule because somebody's API doesn't play well with others. And if you come out with the solution where, where your API plays well with whatever their API is, I'm doing jargon. I have no idea how it actually works. Like promote that though, like promote it, put it out there. Like, because then people who have pain points, like I have that, I don't know, Reddit doesn't integrate with our software and you're the first one that integrates with Reddit. And we do a lot of Reddit advertising. Actually, you know, it's a better example, LinkedIn, because LinkedIn for a long time didn't integrate with anything because LinkedIn was behind. Everybody wanted to do Facebook first. We'll do Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. And we're B2B. We do a lot of LinkedIn. If you're the first one to have a great reporting solution that integrates with LinkedIn, like that would be something that I would push really, really hard in your messaging. Because if your messaging is just like, Hey, we're just another ads reporting tool. Okay, great. I don't, I don't really care. You're going to have the same issues as everybody else versus, Hey, like, we work better in the B2B subset market because there's a lot of LinkedIn advertising that happens there and you're promoting that. Like that's, that's going to be far more valuable to me. It's going to strike my nerve in a very good way. And I, I'll probably set up a call within 20 minutes of me seeing that ad. Now, anybody who's listening who does offer those types of services, our new reporting tool has sorted a lot of that out at this point. So, so a pretty good place. I think going back to what you had said about those three kind of core aspects of a, of a framework. So the second being viral and fun and controversial to, to make that segue, right. And going back to what I was saying before about making B2B sexy, think about the brands that have done that in a more D to C consumer minded way think about like the old this is, this isn't even that old this is like what five years ago think about like salesforce using marshawn lynch as a spokesperson he is he is very savvy don't get me wrong but he is not the persona that you expect somebody to resonate with when you're talking about salesforce right but he's able to articulate it and create a viral fun way of delivering the message that still relates to that core market that salesforce is trying to engage with He's also a keynote. He was a keynote speaker at the conferences and everything else. Right. And I'm not saying that you, yeah, Domo Palooza. I'm not Domo recommending Palooza. you go out and try to, you know, craft some influencer <laughs> strategy or celebrity sponsorship strategy. Like you're, you're kind of going to waste your time and money trying to do that as a B2B brand. But I'm saying as a core concept to think outside the box of how do you take a, a core message that has, had the context and connotation of being boring and spice it up in a different way, spice it up in how you deliver it, spice it up in how you message it. I mean, think about it too. When I think it was this last Super Bowl and just over the last couple Super Bowls themselves, think about the price point of buying a Super Bowl ad number one. And now think about how that advertiser selection or advertiser strategy has changed so much over the last, let's say, five years. 
You had the buds, you had the Bud Lights, you had all the Doritos, everybody else, all the all the CPG brands, you know, that have historically done it, and they still maintain that as part of their marketing strategy. But think about how that has started to shift now with B two B based brands. I'm fairly confident Mailchimp ran uh, a Super Bowl ad this past year. Um, what was the QR code jumping around the screen? What was that Coinbase? Um, uh, I don't remember. Right on the crypto ones. I think I it mean, was the Matt, uh, I mean, there was yeah one of the crypto, crypto ones. ones. Matt Damon as a spokesperson. Um, but just think about the the changes in how the <laughs> key marketing event of the year globally has shifted in who is actually tapping into that market. Whether that market is inclusive or more robust than just your ICP, like let's face it, Mailchimp is not marketing to all the you know people that are sitting down Joe Schmoes that you know kind of operate tr- uh, you know trucks and everything else. Let's say more blue collar workers. That's a better way to to phrase it. If, uh, struggling to think of that phrase. Um, that's not their car market, but they're making a splash because they have seen that the opportunity exists to go outside of the norm of what email marketing means and how you can effectively message that to your audience. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) B2B people are people too. They engage with the same, like, again, I feel like this is a common misconception. Like you can target, I'm talking ads here mostly, but even organic, whatever, like you can target people anywhere. Like the data is available. You can find people in a very specific specific niche and target them where they are. And I feel like there's this common misconception that uh, LinkedIn, like B2B people are always on only on LinkedIn. B2B people are only on whatever, like B2B people, no matter what size organization they are. And they, they Google stuff too. Like I, I need a solution for a problem. I'm going to Google it the same way that anybody else would. Uh, I have a TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook account that I use for personal purposes. Honestly, like a B2B ad on TikTok, LinkedIn, or sorry, TikTok, Facebook, or Instagram is probably going to stick out more to me than if I saw it on LinkedIn because it is outside of the norm of what I see there. Um, but again, I'm there. You can get data on me working in marketing, advertising, and serving me, serving me ads there. Like, and I... Again, going back to like make like it's okay to be innovative. It's okay to test new channels and deliver the same message you would deliver anywhere else because you. I think it comes you back can to feel pretty confident that you're in front of the right. Where people. does the community live? Where does it consume so, content, and yeah, where can you make that impact? Because why do you go to LinkedIn? We go to LinkedIn because we want to learn. We want to see what everybody else yeah. is doing. We want to take those core ideas, pivot off of them, and kind of think outside the box as it applies to us as an agency, but it's a learning mechanism, right? You go to TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, more so for entertainment purposes. And I would guess that many individuals kind of live on those channels more so than LinkedIn in their free time. Um, and that probably presents a greater opportunity for engaging them in a way that is consistent with the format and reason that you're on those channels. Um, and I think, on top of that, just to kind of think about, you know, the ways outside of pay to take advantage of content from a distribution perspective is you only have so much reach from an organic perspective. It's a pay to play world out there, folks. I mean, you can only do so much organically. So the reason that 
organic is going to be effective is to give a reason to come back. So that's a good segue, as you kind of mentioned, James, er, earlier in this kind of portion of the segment, you know, that third piece, that episodic piece, the, the bring back, right? Give a reason to, for somebody to come back. And that allows you to intersperse those other two types of content along the way, because now you're effectively creating a reason not to just come back, but you're effectively creating a community of individuals that are going to be reading and consuming and engaging with your content for a reason that then allows you to tap into them strategically without selling them right on ways to become buyers of your products and services. But you got to create that community first for organic purposes to have true scale and reach and impact. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this is where kind of go diving into the, the framework and what works where it's organic, social, organic, social and, organic long form content, I'll call it. They go very much hand in hand and all it is is about the length of content and how it's consumed, right? So we all know organic social, shorter form, shorter form content, but it is still that, I guess there's a little bit of a mix of that like fun, viral, controversial piece and shorter versions of your long form episodic content. And this is why you're seeing so many brands, including us now taking the long, like, you know, we're creating long form content and breaking it down into shorter pieces. One, because it's easy. Um, I mean, people are <laughs> naturally, like, I think people think they're a lot more creative than they are. Um, and it's much easier to have a conversation like we're having right now and pick out snippets and say something smart rather than everybody sitting around a, a table and saying like, Hey, what's our next big idea? Because imagine this way, like, Hey, like in our, in our next brainstorm meeting, maybe we'll record the whole thing and you can see all of the ideas that come out. Right. And then like that way, when that good idea is said, you just snip that segment. Like that's essentially what a podcast is. That's essentially what a YouTube channel is. Um, you know, all of those long form pieces of content, is if you want to go one level deeper, um, but organic social is a great way to get somebody in the door with snippets of that content with the goal of getting them to. And we talk have about a, a kind of organic in the context of social, but we also need to keep in mind organic in the context of let's say search, right? And reasons that people would be looking for your content. Answer boxes are a great example there, where if you can create content that addresses somebody's pains and problems because that's their search and you have a featured snippet that's an answer box, it's a great opportunity to get in front of them and start to share the point of view, share to share your ideas, share how ultimately you can address those solutions without selling to them directly, right? It comes back to that whole mentality of content leads versus inbound leads too. There's a hand being raised there because there's a signal being sent that they are actively looking for a solution to their problem versus just downloading an ebook that caught their attention because it was educational and value driven. And, you know, you're going to flood lead sales with those leads. Um, I think the point also that you're making James, which is important is that you want to be creating content that can hopefully serve the purposes of all three portions of this content framework. And, the reason being is, yes, all three are a little bit different and you might distribute them differently, but content takes time and money and headaches. And if you can simplify the content creation process 
to get more out of the content that you're creating rather than saying, Hey, it's going to take four weeks to write this ebook, then design it and then go to market with it versus we're going to create this podcast today. We're going to upload it to Spotify and Buzzsprout tomorrow, which is what we do. And then we're going to take the clips out of it tomorrow too, and start to use in our social strategy, you know, next week and maybe thereafter, depending on the longevity and evergreenness of it. You just took one portion of content and created multiple avenues for engaging the prospective buyers. And I'm not saying podcast is the way to go necessarily for your brand. It depends on your audience, the types of content they consume and how they consume it. But if you change your mentality from single content asset minded to larger picture of content pillars and topics and ways in which you can take advantage of a single idea to distribute it in multiple different ways, you're going to be more effective at not just delivering qualified leads to your sales team. You're going to be more effective at going to market and not creating obstacles and hurdles for yourself that just ultimately the delay the success you're capable of producing as an organization. Yeah. A big thing they're saying now is, you know, don't create like record just, I, I feel like it's silly. Like <laughs> I bet the podcast is a great example. Like if you have a vlog, it's a great example, but I mean, we run a marketing agency, like this, this tool that we're using right now for this podcast, I could have like our head of search, like, Hey, like go, th- why, don't, why don't you, sh- why don't you just record yourself doing some of the, the routine stuff that we do all the time and talk about it as you go. Right. Like, I I feel like there's so many different things that you can do where you're just, I don't know, doing the work that you normally do and recording it or like, Hey, like, I don't know, this, it takes five minutes. Like, Oh, this, I just got off this call with this one client and I have this thing that stuck out. Like I think to kind of summarize Um, the main challenge that prevents somebody from doing all of this is a fear of failure and fear of looking like an idiot, right? The vulnerability. And I know I personally have that in kind of a perfectionist mindset. I don't want to be doing videos and things like that unless I look somewhat okay. I sound intelligent because I don't want somebody out there kind of thinking I'm a doofus, right? And the same, that same fear of failure, that same perfectionist mentality exists, not just in individuals, but exists in B2B brands out there. They don't want to look like doofuses to their prospective buyer. Rather than just saying, you know what, screw it. This is my point of view. I know that it has value. I know that I essentially have a lifesaver that can help that prospective buyer be better at their jobs and better in delivering success to their customers and just going for it. If you can overcome that hurdle, you have made great strides in igniting change in your organization, igniting change in your content strategy, and igniting change in the alignment across multiple departments by just going for it, just doing it, so to speak, AKA Nike. All right, let's close this out with just some of the, the key things that we went through today. So if we're to kind of like break this down into three recommendations that everybody can take out, one, create content that fits all three stages of this framework, stuff that is your educational brand level content, stuff that's fun, controversial, and long form content that's gonna bring people back. Number two, Create content that is good and serves a purpose. Like not everything needs to drive a lead. Your goal is to 
educate your goal in any content you create is that as somebody reads it, it is going to make them want to become your customer because they like the content, not because you trick them into getting your email and they're going to come back. And then the last piece is everything should serve a purpose. Um, big thing here, like quality over quantity. I mean, we, we did talk about how easy it can be to create content. That doesn't mean that you should just throw out everything that you create. Um, quality over quantity is still important. We talked about social proof a bit today. So as you like continue to optimize your content strategy, look for that level of social proof to make sure that the content that you're putting out there is accurate. Nope. You nailed it. I mean, Andy, any for, last uh, words? having me on the B list to come in when Zach's absent. So appreciate that. Good talking again. Thanks for listening to Digital Banter. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are uploaded every Friday. In the meantime, keep up with the show by following James and Zach on social media. Links are in the show notes.